looking at the topic of prayer. Prayer is such an important thing for us as Christians to do uh, daily, all the time. And if you, you look throughout the Bible, if you look at the early church and just really the history of the church, you see that prayer would pattern the life of believers. They would pray constantly throughout the day, throughout the year. They would come together for prayer services and they would pray for hours at a time asking the Lord to move. It was Martin Luther who was the, the great reformer who helped reform the Catholic Church and, and, and uplift the Bible. He says this, I have so much business, I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. And, and you read that and you say, man, here's this guy who's saying, I'm so busy, I have so much to do that I have to at least spend three hours of prayer with the Lord every single day. We see it's, it's something that Christians did all the time. I want to read to you a series of verses from the New Testament just to give you an idea of how important prayer was to them. Acts 1, 14 says, all these with one accord were devoting, uh, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his, his brothers. Uh, 2.42 in Acts says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Acts 3.1 says, now Peter and John were going up to uh, the temple at the hour of prayer. Acts 6, 4 says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Uh, 8, 8, 14 and 15 says, now the apostles at Jerusalem heard Samaria had received the word of God and they sent Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. 8, 24, and Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing what you have said may come upon me. 13.3 says, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Uh, 27, chapter 27 says, in fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for days to come. Uh, Acts 28 says, Paul visited this sick man and, and prayed for him, putting his hands on him and healing him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. James 15, 13 through 14, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. When you look, we could read probably for the next 30 or 40 minutes, passage after passage that talks about how the early church in the book of Acts and all throughout the different letters that Paul wrote to different churches, they prayed constantly, all the time. It was something that they were devoted to. They had given themselves to prayer. They had prayed all the time. It was something in their hearts they were convinced that it was worthy of their time. And if you're like me, you look at your life and you say, what's the difference? What's changed in 2,000 years or so? Martin Luther prays for three hours and sometimes I struggle to pray for three minutes a day. Right, our, our prayer life has changed drastically over the years. I would imagine many of us could confidently say, I don't pray enough. Why is this? We probably all have different uh, reasons for not praying. Uh, we all have different motivations that maybe lead us astray. But in this moment today, I hope that you might identify what's stopping your prayer life from being where it should be, what's stopping you from praying as you should. Maybe what's hindering your relationship with the Lord these days is a lack of prayer. 
And it's important for us to understand why we pray. And I want to give you quick, uh, three quick points on why we should pray. And the first is we pray because of our love for God. Just like a, a husband and wife who go through a busy season of life, maybe you haven't seen each other for a couple days, the husband and wife desire to talk to each other at some point. They, they want to have a long conversation and catch up and, and see how the other person is doing. Why? Because they love them, they care about them, they desire to talk to them. In the same way, we talk to God, we pray to God because we love him. We have a relationship with our Heavenly Father and we desire to speak to him. We read his word and hear him speak to us and then we speak to him in prayer. The, the second reason we pray is our dependence on God. We have a dependency on God. We see in the book of Acts that the church prayed over and over and over for all these different things, asking the Lord to heal them, to, to provide for them, to power them, to strengthen them, give them boldness, all these different things. They prayed constantly. God is our creator and we are his creation, so we rely on him for strength, for power, for what we need to get through the day. And we also pray because our, it's our power to make a difference. We might see all these different things in the world. Maybe we want to help with racial equality. We want to fight for life. We want to end homelessness or, or whatever it is. The first and best thing that you can do is pray because that's where our power as a Christian lies. It's in praying to God and calling upon his strength. Prayer is the first and greatest thing that you can do to make a lasting impact. But yet... Often we pray so little, and yet we wonder why God maybe is not present or doesn't seem present in our life. And so we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at Jesus' teachings on prayer. The Sermon on the Mount is a, uh, an awesome uh, passage of Scripture. It was one of Jesus' first sermons that he ever preached, one of the best sermons ever preached by anybody. And really in the sermon, Jesus is laying out what the Christian life looks like, what life looks like in the kingdom of God as a kingdom-minded man or woman. He's laying out what the Christian walk is supposed to be. If you're a new believer and you want to understand Christianity better, you should read Matthew 5 through 7 because it'll show you the words of Jesus and what he says the Christian walk should look like. And it's no surprise that in that sermon, he includes a portion on prayer because prayer is so important. So let's read it out loud. Uh, could we do something fun? Could we read this out loud together? Would that be a little weird or no? Let's, let's do that. Many of you might know this, but let's lead, read this out loud, okay? So don't be shy. Don't be timid. Let's, let's read it. It says in verse 9, uh, should be on the screen for you. Yeah, it's a little small. I'll duck. Uh, pray like, uh, then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as also, <laughs> I messed up, you keep going, forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, hopefully what we see this morning as we look at what Jesus has taught us on prayer is that one, simplicity really is the goal here. Jesus is not trying to tell you to preach some con or pray these complex prayers, uh, that your prayer life has to be uh, 10, 15, 20 minute prayers at a time. There should be consistency, but the goal is not complexity. Uh, I went to Southeastern in Wake Forest, and there would be these guys, I told the teenagers this a few weeks ago, when they got the opportunity to pray, they were going to show all their theological knowledge, all the big words that they knew. They were going to stunt and show off in that prayer. It was like they're flexing their theological muscles, and you would be sitting there listening to the prayer saying, what in the world is this guy talking about? Like, this is not praying. What are you doing? Jesus is not giving us a complex model of prayer, but it's very simple. So you will see that anybody can pray well. 
you, if you're a young believer in the faith, you just recently got saved, or maybe your prayer life for the past couple years have just been dry and not what it should be, you'll see that you don't need to go to Bible college, you don't have to be a pastor to pray well. All of us can pray well using this model given by Jesus, okay? So let's pray and then jump in. Dear Lord, your name is holy. Hallowed be thy name. Your name be honored as holy. Within these next few moments, would you move in mighty ways? Would uh, you receive all the honor, all the praises? We've been singing to you. Now would we seek you in your word? Would we see you in your word? Would your kingdom come and would your will be done in this moment? We ask for uh, the spirit to illuminate the word so that we might understand it. We ask for the desire to pray because some of us in this room don't desire to pray. Would you give us the just passion, the devotion that the early church had, that, that men like Martin Luther had, like missionaries all throughout the history of the church had. Lord, we, we desire to, to seek you in prayer. Would you speak in these next few moments? We pray all of this in your name. Amen. We'll see in the first couple of verses from Jesus that when we first pray, we approach our Heavenly Father first. He points our eyes to our Heavenly Father. It starts with our Father in Heaven. And the first thing that we need to realize when we come in prayer is we come to our Heavenly Father. We are not talking to a far-off God who we've never interacted with. We're not talking to an ancient deity that we're not sure if he even exists or not. We're not rubbing our magic bottle and our, our genie in the lamp and cashing in on a wish. We are talking to our heavenly father, the creator God of the universe. If you are a Christian, has adopted you into the family of God. So no longer are we enemies of God, but we are sons and daughters of God. So if we are a son or a daughter of the true God of the universe, that means he is our heavenly father. So when we pray, we don't approach this cold God or this God who doesn't know us. We approach a God who loves us, cares about us, knows our names, knows our problems. We approach a heavenly father. I myself growing up had a great earthly father, but I understand that for some of us, when we hear this idea of fatherhood, we have these bad memories that come to mind. A, a, a father who wasn't there or who maybe was too harsh or was present but wasn't actually present. But when we approach our heavenly father, we approach a perfect father who loves us all the time. And when I think of how a, a father and son interact, you think of a young child and the father, you think their conversations are full of love and, and a closeness, a comfortability, a familiarity, and a respect that is there in their conversations. So when we approach the father, we approach him with love, with a familiarity, with a respect, but we approach our heavenly father who loves us and cares about us. And wants to hear your prayers. Sometimes people wonder, do my prayers actually reach heaven? Do they reach God? They do because you're praying to your heavenly Father who cares about you. But we, we come to the Father and then it says that we praise the Father. It says, hallowed be thy name. All right, that's the King James Version that we don't uh, use that often anymore. We don't use the word hallowed, but it really just carries this idea of honoring God's name as holy, giving God praise and honor as we pray. When we come to the Lord in prayer, we are praising him first. We're praising his name. As, as Matt was telling us, we don't just praise by singing, right? Our, our praise for the week is not just the, the 20 minutes that we sing songs on Sundays, but we can praise him through our life, through our deeds, and through the words that we say to him in prayer. Our prayer's life should start with praising the Lord for what he's done. And what that does for us is it helps bring the focus of our prayers not on ourselves but on God. 
Because sometimes we can be a little tempted to just bring God our little like cosmic honey-do list and God, I need you to do this and I need you to do this and I want this and I want that. But by focusing on God's name first, by hallowing, by honoring his name as holy, we are focusing our heart and our life and our eyes on who he is. Whereas we sing what a beautiful name it is. We just praise God. You don't need a fancy vocabulary to do this. God, I love you. God, I, I, I'm so grateful for what you've done. You're holy. You're awesome. You're good. And so we start by, by praising him, and it puts the focus on him instead of ourselves. And then what flows out of that is that we pray for his kingdom. We say, your kingdom come. And so as Christians, we are not in the fullness of God's kingdom yet, right? Because we're, we're on this earth still. Heaven has not been established. The new heaven, the new earth, it's not here but as Christians, we are kingdom people. We desire the kingdom of God, right? All of our ambitions, all of our desires, all of our thoughts, all of our wants, all of our dreams, all of the life goals that you have should be kingdom-minded goals. Expanding the kingdom of God, furthering the kingdom of God, experiencing the kingdom of God here on earth now. And so as we praise God, then we flow in, God, I want your kingdom to take place in my life. There's a, a missional aspect to this. I want to advance your kingdom. I want your kingdom to shake ev or shape everything that I do. And out of that, then we seek the Father's will. We say, your will be done. It flows out of a desire for his kingdom, then I will desire God's will for my life. His eternal, perfect will is what I seek, right? It's not my will. If, if you could have two options in life, Get everything you've ever wanted in your life, have every prayer that you want, and it answered exactly how you want it. You could get that answered. You could have that life, perfect, maybe, life of everything that you want, or you could have a life where you live in the perfect will of God every single day of your life. Two options. The best option that you could pick is number two, living in God's will. And so as we pray, we are asking God to make his will our will to make his desires our desires. His will is better than your plans. It's better than my plans. I think the God of the universe, the God who created me, knows better than me. And we're praying that God's will would be my heart's will. J.I. Packer says this. He says, here, more clearly than anywhere, the purpose of prayer becomes plain. Not to make God do my will, but to bring my will into line with his. So as we're praying, we're asking the Lord, as I ask all these different things, let it all be done in your will. Let your will be my will. And there are times in life when our will, our desires, will be at odds with God's will. We'll pray a prayer and we really want it answered in a certain way. Heal this person, save this person, redeem this relationship. Sometimes God's plan is not that. It's not our desires. And so we have to ask God for the faith and, and the, the, the desire to still want his will, even in those hard moments. And so as we, we pray this, you see the first half of this prayer, it's all focused on God, his will, his desire, honoring his name. Then the prayer makes a little bit of a shift, doesn't it? We then begin to go into our needs, our desires. We see that we bring your needs to the Father. Here's where we begin to petition God and ask him to move in our life, ask him to work in our life. It says, give us this day our daily bread, forgive our debts, mess that part up earlier, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from 
the evil one, we start the prayer or the second half of the prayer by asking that God would provide for us. So many people across the world and throughout history have lived a day-by-day lifestyle. Like, they just need enough food for one day. They're not planning vacations, planning for retirement, trying to get a bigger house. But so many, many people in the world are just trying to get enough food to make it through the day. Just enough clean water to satisfy my thirst today. And it's been like that throughout the history of humanity. There's been great poverty all over the place. In Jesus' time, they would have understood that asking the Lord for daily bread was, Lord, feed me today. I need food. I need water. And so for you and I in America, we don't necessarily relate to that because we have an abundance of food. We have an abundance of, of stuff. But still, even in this Christ is calling us to depend on the Lord, to seek him to meet all of our needs. In our prayers, we should depend on him for everything physically and spiritually that we might need in this life. As I was thinking about America, I was like, how would I like uh, just broadly stroke the United States of America? And I thought about this. I, I think about it. It's not true for every American, but I think we live in the land of abundance and we are a people of self-sufficiency. We live in a land of abundance, and we are a people of self-sufficiency. Uh, I was thinking about COVID back in the day, and there happened to be that little toilet paper shortage that we all uh, suffered through for a little while there, where, I don't know, some of you maybe were low on toilet paper, and you start looking at your dish rags, and you're like, I don't know, maybe, maybe that'll work, right? And so I'm in the store one day, and we just need a little bit of toilet paper. We didn't need a bunch, so I just, I grabbed one off of the shelf. And, you know, there were the limits of, like, two or three per person. And so I'm grabbing one off the shelf. I'm the only one on the aisle, and I hear this yelling from the front of the store. And they're saying, they have it. They have it. And I hear this thumping, this pounding, and this whole family of, like, five rolls around the corner, and they're like, toilet paper, get it, get it, get it. And they're all grabbing as much as they can per person, freaking out. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, you don't need that much toilet paper. And nobody else is here but me, and I've got mine. But as I was thinking about that, that's kind of America, isn't it? Many of us don't know what it's like to be without something. So just the threat of not having some toilet paper, and we lose our minds. We don't understand what it's like to go to bed hungry because we have literally no food, or at least many of us don't. We don't understand what it's like to not have clean water coming out of the sink. And so often our life, we're not dependent on God. We don't, we don't feel this urgency to say, God, I need you to provide for me. Because we say, I, I'll do it. If I need food, I'll buy it. I, I, I can provide for myself with my own hands. I don't need help. But Christ is calling us to live this life that is dependent on God in everything. And maybe that's why we pray so little, because we don't know what it's like to be in desperate need of something. We say, God, I, I need you. I need you to provide. And maybe that's why we pray so little, and we, why we see the early church praying so much, because they needed God. I wonder what would change in your life and in our church if we prayed like the church of Acts did. If in every situation that we encountered, we would pray and seek the Lord? What if we were dependent on him? Let me ask you this. Do you live with a dependency on God or do you depend, depend on yourself? Who do you rely on the most in situations, God or yourself? Or I could frame it like this. Who is God in your life? Like who actually plays the role of God? Is it the creator of the universe, your loving heavenly father, or is it you? Do you think that everything lives and dies by the work of your hands? 
Or do you understand that it's ultimately that God who provides every good and perfect gift from above? He gives it. And so we as Christians, we seek the Lord. We seek his will, asking him to provide for us, living with a dependency on him. And then we pray and we ask that God would forgive us. It says we ask that he would forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And you say, wait a minute, Jackson. I thought that my sins were forgiven, right? I thought that I prayed a prayer and Jesus forgave me and now I get to go to heaven because my sins have been forgiven. That is true. Once you are saved, you are saved. But Danny Aiken would say it like this. When we were saved from our sins and we were welcomed into the family of God, we stood before God as judge and we were justified by the work of Jesus on the cross. So now we don't have to worry about our eternal destination because Christ has justified us. He's atoned for our sins, covered our sins, and we are saved. But now as a Christian, when we confess our sins to the Lord, when we pray to the Lord, we stand before him as a loving father. And just like you might in a relationship with your father need to ask for forgiveness, that's what we do with our father now. I don't have it on the screen, but 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that's what we do. We confess our sins as we sin. And if you're like me, you likely sin every day. We ask the Lord to forgive us, to make that relationship whole again. It's not asking for salvation every single day, but it's just forgiveness. And it, it's funny, it, it leads us into forgiveness because he says, we will for, forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And so what Christ has done for us, how God forgives us, it leads us to forgive other people. I wonder this. I wonder if confession was more prominent in the church, if it was more prominent in our lives. I wonder if it serves to make us more forgiving people. Because think about it, if you and I were asking every time we sin for the Lord to forgive us, maybe we wouldn't think that we have any right to stand over another person or hold a grudge or even hate somebody. Because <laughs> I'm praying to God and asking him to forgive me all the time. Who am I to be mad at you? And every time I pray, God is faithful and just and he forgives me, so who am I to withhold forgiveness from somebody else? The church in America often, I think, does not confess our sins. And we see sin almost celebrated in churches these days and even in the lives of believers. Maybe you and I, in some ways, celebrate sin. And what if we would follow Jesus' model of prayer and begin to confess daily of our sins and come back into a right relationship with the Lord? And then lastly, we see that we pray that God will keep us from sin. I told the teens when I preached this passage to them that there are so many things fighting for their attention. There are so many things fighting for their affection. There's so much sin that is just trying to get a hold of their mind, get a hold of their heart. And the same is true for all of us as adults. Sin is fighting for your affection and for your attention. Just like uh, we traveled to Asheville uh, for the past couple of years, we've traveled to Asheville for Thanksgiving. And as you're driving on the interstate, you see all these billboards, right? It's like, Chick-fil-A in 20 miles, turn. Are you hungry? Do you want Chick-fil-A? And there's all these signs of like this, this. And then one's like, are you going to burn in hell? Love Jesus, right? Uh, but there's all these signs that are like, food, food, this, that, stop here, gun store, this, that, blah, 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 blah. 
There's a Ford dealership, I believe it is, that we drive by on the way to Asheville, and they have this huge pole that just stands up in the ground or stands out up into the sky, really, and on the top of it, they put a, like, truck or a car, and it's, like, spinning around, just getting your attention, right? Like, just staring at it, like, oh, what's up there this time? And it's just fighting for your attention. All these billboards, stop here, stop here, come here, gas station here. And that's how sin is in our culture today. It's fighting for your attention. Do this, do that, be this. And it's everywhere. Social media, on your phone, in your workplace, in your school. Sin is fighting for your affection. And Jesus is telling us to pray, lead us not into temptation. The love of money is fighting for your attention. The porn on your laptop is fighting for your attention. Love of self is fighting for our attention. Political kingdoms are fighting for our attention over heavenly kingdoms. Sin is fighting for your heart. And the beautiful thing is Jesus tells us that we can pray and ask for help. Lord, lead me not into temptation today. And so for you, it's important, for me, it's important to identify whatever sins we struggle with. What are the ones that we go back to every day or seemingly every other day? Identify those sins. God knows them. You're not hiding anything. So identify them and begin to ask the Lord for help. If you're a prideful person, ask for help. If sexual sin is a problem right now, ask for help. If forgiveness is a struggle, ask the Lord to help you. We all need protection from sin. The Bible says that the enemy is a seeking lion, seeking to devour you. He wants to destroy you. Destroy your marriage. Destroy your walk with Christ. Destroy your family. Destroy any relationship or friendship that you have in life. Ask the Lord to protect you. Strengthen you. And so I'll say this in closing, getting you out early today. I'll say this um, in closing. Number one, I would ask you this. Uh, are you living a prayerful life or a prideful life? This is not an original thought with me. I heard it years ago, but uh, a, a pastor once said, don't remember who it is, or I, I, I'd quote him and give him credit, but he said, a, a life that has no prayer is a prideful life. Because if we don't pray, because we know what the Bible says, that we should pray, we should ask the Lord for help, we should seek his will. If we don't pray, we're saying in our head, God, I don't need your help. God, I don't need you. God, I don't need you to provide. I don't need you to forgive me. I don't need to seek your will. And so I wonder, for some of us, and myself included, if maybe we don't pray because we're prideful, because we haven't humbled ourselves before the Lord. We don't think we need him every day. And so what I would just ask you is, going forward, will you live a, a prayerful life or a prideful life? And, and, and I just want to remind you, too, second, that it's a, a simple formula. Uh, what Jesus is giving you is a simple way to pray effectively every day. You don't have to use this model every day. You don't even have to pray the words exactly how they are. I had a, a basketball team that I played on for a short season, and every time before the game, we would just recite the Lord's Prayer. And that's not necessarily what Jesus is giving it for. It's a model of prayer. You can pray the words, but it's a, a model. It's a simple model. And I, I told the students this story. Uh, my wife and I did HelloFresh back in the day. Anyone know what HelloFresh is? Any of you seen the ads? It's everywhere. 
It's everywhere, fighting for your attention. Uh, and so HelloFresh was great because uh, I, we're simple cooks, right? We're uh, a piece of protein, some veggies, and some rice or potatoes, right? And that's just about every single dinner that we cook. There's not a lot of spice to it. I mean, yeah, we're white. Like, it's just not a lot of spice. Like, lemon pepper is about as zesty as we get, okay? And so HelloFresh was nice because we got to experience flavors that we've never tasted before, and we haven't since we stopped HelloFresh. Uh, but the meals were so complicated that we would be cooking for 45 minutes to an hour trying to complete all the steps. And I, I told the students that one of it was like this lemon tortellini. It was delicious, so good. But one of the steps was telling us to like zest a lemon, and I was like, what the crap is that? How do you zest a lemon? And I was like, Jesse, do you know how to zest a lemon? She's like, I have no clue what that is. So I'm Googling, and there's lemon zesters that you can buy. I had no clue what to do. So I'm watching a YouTube video on how to zest a lemon with a knife. Didn't really work, but it still tasted good. But the, the, the meals, the, the recipes were complex. They were hard to follow, so we stopped them pretty quickly. The prayer that Jesus is giving us is not like that. It's not a complex prayer. It's made to be simple, but yet it's so powerful. Beginning with the Father, then bringing our needs. It's a powerful prayer. It might transform your whole life. It might awaken a love for God that you have not felt in a long time. It might bring you back to those early days when you first got saved and you were just oozing emotion for the Lord. It's a simple prayer. It's a good prayer. I would challenge you to use it. He's given it to us. He says, pray like this. He's telling us, pray like this. And then third, I would just say, what if? <laughs> what if? What if prayer became real in your life? And this is, this is what I end with. What if prayer became real in your life? I, I, I look at the American church, and in some ways, we've gotten a little off course. We, we, we've strayed a little bit. We're not as... Um, I don't know if we've ever been, but laying that aside, we look at the book of Acts and the church is just amazing. It's on the move. They're on fire. They're devoting themselves. They're sharing everything they have. And we've gotten so comfortable. And I wonder if it's because we've lost sight of prayer. I wonder if it's because we don't pray as the church like we should. If we're only praying 30 seconds a day, it's likely not enough. The New Testament calls us to pray without ceasing in everything with prayer and supplication. Bring your, your, your uh, request to the Lord. And yet we pray so little. So I wonder, what would happen in your life, in my life, here at Calvary, if we began to be a people that got on our knees and sought the Lord in prayer? What might change in your life, in the life of your family, what might the Lord begin to do in your heart if you prayed daily, if you prayed consistently? What would change? It, it gets me excited to think that if we would just turn to the Lord and prayer, what might break out in this church among our students, among our young married, our young, among our children and everyone else, if we would just pray? James 5.16 says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There's great power in the prayer of the people of God. 
I, I listen to a, a rapper, NF. He's like the Christian version of Eminem. So if you like Slim Shady, he's a good way to get your fix. Uh, and he says in one of his songs, he says, it's hard for God to do something if we're not praying for him and asking him to do something. So we, we look up to God and we're like, God, why aren't you working? And he might look back and say, you aren't praying. And I wonder if maybe we see a lack of God moving in our life because there's a lack of prayer 